Thank you. Thank you and, and welcome to this talk. Uh, my name is Joanna. And I'm Killian, as and you already heard. <laughs> <laughs> and we're very happy to have you here and see that you're interested in this topic, which for us is very important, privacy in the workplace. And we want to tell you today the story of our research project um, that we started working at the Center for Internet Human Rights in 2015. The center, uh, the CIHR, is a, is a research center at the European University Viadrina. It's in Frankfurt Oder on the Polish-German border. Uh, an hour away from Berlin. And our research uh, that we're going to present today is still going on, but we wanted to show you how it evolved and so you can also become involved and share your experiences with us. And uh, the reason we are interested in workplace surveillance is because it's a very concrete form of surveillance that is very close to people and that everybody has a story to share about. And what we're going to do in this talk is first talk about the legal and ethical challenges of workplace surveillance, then we're going to quickly draft out what is actually new here, what is the new level that we see in workplace surveillance today, give a very precise example of, uh, for workplace surveillance in the platform economy, uh, and then talk about why we think it's still very important to think about privacy in the workplace, even though privacy seems a little lost. And then we will conclude with some thoughts on yeah, how this will, might drag on what, what, we, what we see in the future. So when we started working on this project, our central question was a legal one. Can your boss spy at, your, uh, uh, at work? So we were uh, interested in the, um, in the legal aspects of privacy, and actually uh, the story began 10 years ago with Bogdan, Bogdan Barbulescu was an engineer at an IT company in, in Bucharest. This is not Bogdan, of course, but just another guy with a funny mustache. But this is more or less what workplace looked like in 2007. And it was actually Friday uh, the 13th uh, of July 2007 when Bogdan was told by his boss that he um, had been spying on him and he has been reading his um, MSN messenger chats. Um, then the boss showed him a 45-page transcript of these chats. Um, well, now, Bogdan was actually chatting with his fiance and his brother about, his, uh, about some very, very private stuff, about health and sex life problems. So, uh, obviously, he was not happy about it, and a couple of weeks later, he lost his jobs because the boss had a final proof that Bogdan was using his, his company computer for personal purposes. Um, obviously, Bogdan felt that it was unfair, and um, especially because he had no idea that the boss had the capacity and the ability to do that, so he went to court. So was it legal for Bogdan's boss to look at the contents of his chat? Well, the short answer is we don't know. Last year, we looked with our colleague, Johan Stevens, at the legal aspects of this case, and we found out that actually it's still not clear for Bogdan and for millions of workers around Europe. Um, first, the Romanian courts ruled in this case that actually the boss of Bogdan was right. Um, so he took, it, he took the case to Strasbourg, to the European uh, court, invoking Article 8 and the right to respect of uh, private and family life, home and correspondence. But the initial ruling of the ECHR was actually not in favor of Bogdan. Basically, the court said that the company's interest in this case in profit and productivity 
were more worth more than the protection of the uh, right to privacy of that individual. Fortunately, for all of us, Bogdan appealed that ruling, and um, we are still working. Uh, we're still waiting for what the Grand Chamber of the Court is going to say. But think about it. This case started 10 years ago. A whole decade has passed. The entire workplace has gone through tremendous transformation. MSN Messenger disappeared, and now our favorite way to waste time at work is Facebook. Um, and the technology moves super fast, and law is moving incredibly slow, and we still don't know if the boss was off-limits in this case. It does seem straightforward that the boss should have notified Bogdan that he will monitor his chats, and it also seems pretty clear that there are certain very, very private aspects of life, like health and sex life, that should be extra protected. And that's actually the case in general data protection regulation, which will be implemented in the European Union next year. But the rest we still don't know, and we have to wait for the final ruling. So with this technology of workplace surveillance developing so quickly, um, surveillance is so cheap and easy to use and almost ubiquitous, um, we cannot wait for the law to catch up. We need to also ask ourselves what are the ethical standards, basically whether it's right or wrong for the boss to look at the contents, uh, to, look, to spy at us at work. So how do we define of what is off-limits? I always think that it's really good to look at the cases that actually shock us the most, the, um, the cases where we find that the surveillance was intrusive or unjustified, um, for example, we're disturbed by the idea of a CCTV camera in a bathroom, but we finally find it quite normal that we have to click our ID every time we walk to the, to the workplace. In similar vein, we might think that the boss is, it's fair for the boss to process data about our working hours, but maybe we don't want the boss to monitor our health. What makes it even more complicated um, is the, the notion of what is right and wrong uh, often depends on culture. So we actually wanted to look at the differences, uh, the cultural differences between Germany and Poland, where we're from, but also the differences, for example, between um, Europe and Asia, and specifically the Philippines, where a lot of call centers uh, are located. But another thing is company culture. When you sign a job contract, you often agree to a certain level of surveillance that's inherent in the, that particular job. There are companies where you have to leave your private phone at the reception, companies where it's not allowed to use Facebook at work, and there are other companies where use of Facebook is welcome, or even that's simply part of your job. Another thing that's really changing is that this paradigm in which we uh, leave our privacy when we walk through the door of the workplace, and then we get it back when we go home, um, is changing by the fact that there's more and more mobile working. So... You might be working from a cafe, or you might be even working from your bedroom. So the, work, the lines between work and private lives are blurring, and we might even feel that the feelings of privacy and intimacy are harder and harder to get. So the bottom line here is that we need to better define, both legally and socially, what is off-limits for us and for different workers in these new digitized environments. Not only legally, but socially and culturally. 
Um, and we think that a good starting point is to listen to workers to what disturbs or shocks them. Because this might be an indication that something is actually changing. Um, but first, let's take a step back here and ask, what is actually new about this? Um, because that's a fair question and it always comes up because workplace surveillance is an inherent part of work and it was always there. You cannot imagine a modern workplace without having somebody monitoring and controlling what you do. That, to be, to be very fundamental, uh, that goes back to division of labor, basically. Yeah? So as soon as we started separating a line of production into the very small parts, we invented managers. And the only job of managers is to monitor and control what other people are doing. And then you have the workplace surveillance uh, um, already and inherently built in. Um, and this is something that workers accept or uh, at least have to accept. And it's also in, to some extent in their interest also um, to be able to prove that they work well and for the company to be making money. Most workers agree that it's good to have some kind of control. Uh, and then w what would come first to your mind when you think what is new here is that we there we have new digital tools. And we already had super invasive tools like CCTV cameras, uh, drug tests. In some jobs, you have to pass a polygraph test to get, for example, when you want to get security clearance for uh, when you work for the government on a high-level position. Um, so many workplaces today are fully digital, and every keystroke, every movement you make leaves a trace and can be monitored. And some surveillance products even make regular screenshots of, of people's screens in the office, count mouse clicks per minute, um, or capture webcam images. Uh, and all these kinds of software exist and, and is out there. But um, what is even more new, or what is the new phase that we're now looking into with our project, um, where we have an even more invasive or a new uh, a new quality of workplace surveillance, basically, is not only the tools that are changing, uh, but the entire model of management. Um, there's a changing relationship between boss and workers, and uh, more people are nowadays working in fully automated work environments that entail a new form of actually management. It's not uh, surveillance has become a new form of management. And to make that more more clear, more precise, we want to take the example of the platform economy and then later on the very specific example of Deliveroo food delivery. So, if you work on a platform, everything you do is monitored and tracked. Think of companies like Airbnb or Helpling or Amazon Mechanical Turk, TaskRabbit, and so on. Uber, for example, what is it? Self-employed drivers in their private cars getting directions about where to go only via the app. Or Deliveroo, same concept. Self-employed riders on their own bikes getting directions about where to pick up and drop off the food only via the app. Or take Amazon Mechanical Turk. Um, the self-employed contractors sitting in their living room, most likely, um, get assignments and feedback about what they do only via the platform software that is used. So the point is, Platforms provide you a fully algorithmic work uh, environment. And to some significant extent, uh, the algorithm here becomes the boss. 
And that is not a side effect, but an inherent and fundamental principle of the business model. If your workplace is an app, full collection of data about workers becomes uh, invisible and unavoidable at the same time. And this means that the software takes on classical man management functions. So think of the worker being the little ball that is kept in balance and yeah, nudged in the right directions by the platform. Uh, and the, um, scholars even came up with a term for this. It's called algorithmic management, where software algorithms uh, assume managerial, managerial functions and shape the work environment all together. Uh, and all the platforms have certain algorithmic controls built in, such as, the, for example, rating functions, where you have the famous five-star rating. Um, so not even uh, the employer side gets to control the workers, but also the customer side, much, much more, because you can click and you can, you can give a five or a, a one-star um, for whatever the, the writer just did. Mm. And that is not to say that is not humans building these platform softwares, of course, right? So when I say this is management by the algorithm, uh, of course the algorithm was conceived and built by some humans beforehand. But uh, in the daily work environment, the programmers don't interfere anymore. So then it's really just uh, the platform or the algorithm um, managing the workers. So... Conceptually speaking, we have a new mode of managing workers. We used to have traditionally as a dichotomy between hierarchy and a market. Or hierarchy, you have a clear line of demand. Think of a government bureaucracy uh, from top down. That's how workers are managed. And the other, ex other side is the market, where you have a price for labor, and you have contractors, and the price is uh, the coordinating factor. And now we want to argue, and it's in line with other um, scholars out there, this algorithmic management um, is a new form, and kind of a hybrid model that is maybe not in between, but just a new, a new concept to grasp if you're talking about the platform economy here. Uh, so this was a rather theoretical description of, of why this is new, and now Joanna's going to give you some more examples about, uh, yeah, make this a little more precise, uh, this algorithmic this, uh, management by looking at the case of uh, Deliveroo. Yes, so in order to see how this works, I started talking um, to Deliveroo uh, writers in Germany and in the UK, and I conducted first interviews. And it turns out to be a fascinating case study of what privacy and autonomy mean in these automated work environments. So just to give you an idea, bike couriers or messengers or riders, as the delivery riders, at least here in Berlin, like to call themselves, um, are people who like autonomy. Um, they're often young, well-educated, uh, very mobile and flexible, and um, they like this business model because they can choose their own working hours, as, and it's an okay job as long as it pays well. Many actually choose to be self-employed and become some of entrepreneurs on bikes. And, theoretically, the app makes their work easier. So they don't have to talk to a boss. They simply log into the app and wait for the order to come up. And the first thing I learned with this project is that it doesn't really make sense to talk to them about privacy and the privacy in the app. They know that the app doesn't have access to any personal or intimate in info. It just tracks 
their location and how they get from point A to B and how fast they were. Um, so writers will say things like, they're not going to do anything wrong with this information, or they say, Google already knows that. Um, and the personal data uh, that is collected about them, they can get in forms of stats, especially uh, they're evaluated uh, based, on how, based on how fast they ride. Uh, they can be fired for bad stats. Sometimes the stats are made available to them, so they compare themselves um, to, against other workers. That's the gamification element of this job. Uh, but they, they actually care more about the other type of data, not the personal data, but the, the aggregated and anonymized data. So these companies, you know, the platform companies are collecting massive amounts of data to optimize, to cut costs, and also potentially to train artificial intelligence and to, to, so these riders can be once replaced by robots or drones. Um, and the, the workers also want to see these stats the same way that the company sees the stats. Why? Because they want to know where it gets busy, uh, which times of the, busy, of the week are the busiest ones, which areas of the city will be busier, so they can optimize better their, um, their working hours. Um, so when you think about it, what they actually want is, as every worker, they want stability, predictability, and decent pay, but they also want to have the feeling of control, which comes with having access to that information. And they feel particularly out of control and particularly upset when, um, when the algorithm uh, keeps changing. So there are these tiny shifts, tiny tweaks to the algorithm that can have huge impact on their working conditions and, and, or their pay. Just to give you an example, recently one of the apps changed the system from picking couple hour shifts to one hour shifts. So you can only sign up to work an hour, then you have to wait for an hour, and then you can... Uh, work again or something like that. So this can have a huge impact in, on your daily life. So the question is really not does your boss spy on you at work, it's rather how much control over your everyday life do you really have. And the last thing that I would like to share from you from these interviews is that maybe they don't want to worry so much about the privacy of the app, but they certainly understand that there's a need for private space for them to meet and a private space for them to communicate. Of course, this is uh, very important, especially when they want to organize. This is a very difficult type of work. A lot of people are migrants, um, uh, self-employed. They don't have very good working conditions. And, um, and also the company keeps overhiring to keep kind of the, com the, the workers competing against each other. So when they want to, to, break and, to break that pattern and organize um, and pressure the, for better working conditions, they need that space in the park or in cafe, and they also need that space in the digital sense, as in um, they will not communicate, organize this protest over companies' uh, chat, but they will probably use some kind of encrypted service. So it seems that even at this very digitized workspace, this privacy is not dead, it's just that the meaning of it is evolving. Uh, and now that we looked at this very specific example of the platform economy, um, let's look at why we think that talking about privacy in that regard, in some way, Joanna said it, it seems like privacy is lost, right? There's, uh, but we think it's still very important uh, to think about privacy in the workplace, uh, or even more so. First of all, uh, because 
surveillance at the workplace is a testing ground for surveillance in other, uh, in other spheres of life and other fields. Uh, so not to be overly dystopian, but you can see that historically that uh, surveillance techniques have first always emerged in, in these kind of uh, work environments. And it's not by coincidence that one of the biggest, uh, one most prominent scholars of surveillance theory, Michel Foucault, he looked also at how surveillance worked in factories um, and, and, and in prisons, but also in factories um, and to, just to see what surveillance is and how it works and what it does to people. Um, but here in the platform economy, we have uh, an even more intensified situation where we have at least like three levels of, of deep asymmetry that, uh, that make talking about privacy even more important. First, you have the classical economic imbalance between the employer or the platform with a lot of capital, a lot of resources, and the workers that have less, less resources. Uh, second of all, the legal imbalance, where nobody wants, seems to be willing to hire people. Back in the day, you had employers that were also willing to take on some responsibility for the people that employ, that, that make the actual money for them. On the platform, that's not the case anymore. So that you have the liability really shifted to the weakest, uh, the weakest member of the, the production chain here. And then third uh, is the information imbalance. Joanna already talked about that. Um, that one side has access to a massive amount of data that is collected on the platform and the other side does not. And that also creates a huge asymmetry in, in information. Um, and then lastly, but most importantly actually, privacy is a basis for other rights, most importantly, other labor rights. Um, and that's the same, uh, same concept that you always have in, throughout society. You need privacy in order to enact or enable and enjoy other fundamental rights. And in the workplace, most important is the freedom of association. That is, in the workplace, the freedom to form unions. So, for example, in Germany, where you usually um, have co-decision-making bodies in large companies, employers are not allowed to monitor the entrance of the work council with a camera because that could deter people from going there. Um, so you would have a chilling effect on labor rights if there is too much surveillance of this specific work council. Um, so we need to make sure that even at work there is enough privacy for people to exercise other human rights and uh, just telling people, well, you have a choice. You can work for this company or for that one. That's not really helping much, and that's not, that's not an option either, because especially in the platform economy, people don't have that choice, and they're much more, much more stuck with a certain platform than they are before, because their reputation uh, is, is, is bound to the platform. Mm. Yeah, so that's why we think privacy is still very important, but we also see that privacy doesn't mean a lot to people as a concept. It's a, an important legal concept, but it's not necessarily a concept that, tells, that is very telling for, that workers can relate to. So we are think, also thinking about other ideas, other terms that might, be more, might resonate better with workers. For example, autonomy and control. So that's something that, that, that you can feel more in, in your daily life. Do I have autonomy here? Or, or do I, who's in control, is it me or the other? And look at specific cases of discrimination, um, because that's also something that everybody can, can share uh, a story about, how you were discriminated, and then the step to, to privacy comes after that. 
So we want to close up with the question of what next, what should we do about this? Well, obviously, as researchers, we think that more scrutiny of this topic is needed. And we always uh, like to think that we should look both at the technology and the legal norms as well as the social norms. So in terms of law, you can obviously see that it's important to monitor the changes that are happening in the European Court of Human Rights or the General Data Protection Regulation. Uh, and it's also very worthwhile to look at the tech, so study the devices, how they actually work, um, study the, the software, the, the new software used for management in particular, and then finally study the algorithms and how, how, they, um, how the algorithms, whether they're fair, whether they, um, they're not discriminatory at work. Um, and, as, and as Killian said, it's, it's also important to look at the, 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 how the norms change. Maybe not only privacy, but other norms uh, are salient here, like autonomy, control, or, or fairness. But what do we do as workers? Well, we can smash the device, and we know of cases where people did that, or delete the app, but uh, that's not a long-term solution, for sure. Um, so how do you resist when, um, when, a, when you're boss is an algorithm. Uh, you can, of course, try to unions, ask unions for help, and this um, privacy in the workplace has often been an important case of the collective bargaining process. But there are many places where platform economies work, but unions are not present, um, and because either they don't, they're not able to, or they don't want to, or it's in countries where unions are just not strong enough, and we can think of other creative methods to to use collective action. And actually, when you think about it, going on strike when your boss is an app has never been easier. You simply don't log in. And this is exactly what happened in the case of delivery riders in London. Um, one day they got this modification saying that uh, you're no longer going to be paid per hour, you're now going to be paid per delivery. And if you, don't, if you agree, click here. If you don't agree, don't log in. So they just quickly started communicating and they decided not to log in. And this was a form of strike that actually did hurt the platform and the, the restaurants that collaborate with Deliveroo and uh, ended up working. So when you think about it, uh, the digitization and digital workplace also gives you new tools to, to mobilize and fight for your rights. But of course, finally, as citizens, we also have to pressure our governments to pay more attention to this issue because these laws um, that are supposed to protect us are no longer adequate, and we have to we have to find other, maybe more quicker ways, like um, like guidelines or regulations uh, or ethical standards that these companies should follow, so our rights are still protected. The bottom line, and what I take out most from this project that is still going on is that if we want a workplace, digital or not, that feels right for humans to be in it, um, and that serves human needs, not only technology itself or profit, we need a private space at work, a private space where we can maybe simply relax for a while and be together with other workers, but also a private place where we can organize where things are going wrong. Like that digital version of that uh, work council uh, room where there is no CCTV camera. Workers need also maybe exactly these private communication channels where um, they know that the boss is not listening. So we hope that this uh, research will keep going and evolving and uh, will contribute to make the workplace 
uh, virtual, not more humane, uh, where human feels right. And we would like you to maybe share with us your opinions or maybe private experiences from workplace that would um, that would uh, help us develop this project. Yes, uh, we we don't have time for questions um, because it's only half an hour slot. But if you feel like sharing something, email us or just come talk to us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much, Joanna and Kilian, for pointing out those critical issues. I got them in mind, for sure. <laughs> Thank you.